0: Here are the nominees for Achievement in Directing. Adam McKay, The Big Short. Lenny Abrahamson, Room. Tom McCarthy,
1: Spotlight. Alejandro G. Iñárritu, The Revenant. George Miller, Mad Max, Fury Road. And the Oscar goes to... Alejandro G. Iñárritu, The Revenant.
0: This is the fourth Oscar and seventh nomination for multiple nominee tonight, Alejandro G. Iñárritu. He took home three Oscars last year for Best Picture, Directing, and Writing for Birdman. Welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where normally each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. But we're not doing that today. Uh, As always, I am Adam St. John.
1: And my name is Ian Woodingson,
0: And we are here to do our first definitive director ranking of of the year of season three last week if you're if you're if you're uh, along with with us for the journey we talked about Birdman uh it was a split decision and we are now going to have the larger Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu discussion Ian, what what was your week like uh revisiting these films
1: uh, It was uh it was intense so I started last week uh, by the time we had recorded Birdman, I'd already seen Amor's Peros, so I had that one loaded and in mm-hmm. my head, and then I double-featured 21 Grams and Babel on Sunday, so very heavy Sunday, Uh huh. and then, uh, followed by Beautiful on Monday, and I think I did The Revenant Wednesday. Gotcha. So yeah, gotcha. very, very heavy week, and then Liz and I had a palate cleanser, and we attempted, I say we attempted, to watch fucking Backdraft. I've not seen that you've oh dude it is so it's so 90s it hurts ah nice and not not in the right places
0: yeah I I can't say that I I my my intention of course was to watch these chronologically correct outside of Birdman um and and that didn't happen I started with Amoris Peros but then uh that was on Sunday but then Sunday night we watched The Revenant which was uh just just way out of order and then I believe the rest of the week it went it went beautiful, 21 grams, Babel. So I I can't say that I had any real rhyme or reason to how I watched them, mostly with just how I was able to fit them in. But but got them all in and uh am, am amped to to talk about them.
1: See, I like I like what you do. I like doing a Morse Peros and the revenant kind of back to back to see you know the the beginning and the end it's interesting interesting contrast yeah absolutely to see where he started and and where he's where he's left us hopefully not his last movie he's one of these guys he's like a Kubrick too many too many years between movies for sure
0: well now I'm, I'm 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 happy you bring that up did you not hear that he's he's uh started production on his next film
1: oh I had not yeah, and I've so, spent all week doing nothing but reading about him. You think I would have seen this?
0: <laughs> it was announced, I think, I think I saw it the day after we recorded our Birdman episode. Um, okay. it's, I think it's called Limbo. And it's focusing on uh, Mexican politics. And I believe that Darius Kanji is going to be the DP. That's all I really know about it. And that's about all I think they released on it. Um, but yeah, it's like, brand, this is pretty new. Uh, information out there, so uh, very timely, I would say, that we are broaching the, the inner REIT 2 ranking, so, um, well, so, It's yeah.
1: it's also awesome to, to hear him going back to, to his home country, and and because uh, he's really only made, you know, we'll, we'll get into it when we talk about the movies, but I think it's just a Morris Peros is the only one that's set in Mexico, with a you know, Babel, hey, you know, pi- a yeah. little bit of that, yeah, yeah bits and yeah. pieces, yeah, so it's it's nice to Hopefully it'll be a, uh, a smaller film. I mean, I'm, you know me, I'm always advocating for filmmakers when they go big, Hey, go, go small. Let's see that you can still do it. Yeah. I, I agree. Nolan.
0: I, well, Nolan. Yes. I, I don't get me wrong. I am a Nolan fanboy, but I, I absolutely agree with that. I, but I also think it's the same with, the, with a lot of directors who you, you just, you start to get that money, that big money and you just keep making them bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, you know, it, it was it was really cool to see Quaron do something a bit different with Roma, right? Like still have a lot of money behind it, still a lot of craft and skill, but a very in a very a very small intimate movie, um, done on a very grand scale. So, um, I think yeah.
1: I think it's part of why, not to, to stray too far from Inarita, but I think that's another reason why I'm such a Ridley Scott fanboy is going from you know three fairly huge movies in a row: Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Hannibal, and then Matchstick Men. As, I think it, that was refreshing. We won't. We won't, of course, delve into no, you, your. You don't want uh, to?
0: No, you don't want to.
1: Oh, you want it? You want to talk? No. You want to talk a little Goodyear? No, I don't. I don't at if all. If you Dude. If you check out our our sibling podcast, there the uh, the <laughs> below free. Just a, a little <laughs> shout out for below freezing and uh, that hatchet job. Oh yeah, that no, you we, did we, on on a Goodyear. We went to town on it. Um, you You really did, sir. You and so I, you and I you... need to have words.
0: <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'm expecting it. W- would you like to tell us um, a little bit about the man, the man, Alejandro González Inarizu?
1: I would love to. So he was born uh, 1963 in Mexico City. Um, he he wasn't a great student by some accounts, poor grades, a lot of misbehavior, uh, ran off with somebody from a wealthy family. Um. Uh, I guess what I was reading, he was, he was influenced to travel by the Milos Forman film, Hair, and so he spent a lot of time uh, working on, on cargo boats and, and taking a lot of trips as a teenager, uh, came, to, came to the States, came up the Mississippi River, uh, went to Europe and Africa, uh, and he spent a year in Europe so those are those sort of experiences I think we could say uh definitely informed a lot of his decision making as a filmmaker films that really span the entirety of the globe whether it's something like Babel that takes place on 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 three continents or even something like the Revenant, where I mean even though it's supposedly set in one region they had to chase the snow in order to to keep continuity um started his career as a radio host in mexico in the mid 80s and then uh would actually apparently, go on to
0: apparently a pretty good one pretty influential
1: yeah. yeah he interviewed a lot of really really big people including elton john was yeah. one name that i saw um and then he he created his own production company after scoring some films uh doing the composing thing uh so z films or z films uh he did commercials and shorts. I have to imagine, like David Fincher, we talked a little bit about him and propaganda films. He's probably doing music videos as well. Um, one little piece of trivia that I have about him: Have you ever seen any of the BMW short films that they did with Clive Owen as the driver?
0: Okay, so I I, I only I never sought out the like the full length ones. Do you know what I mean? I I only watched like the bits that they actually showed on TV.
1: You should, you should really track them down, because some of them are genuinely spectacular, and one of them is Inaritu's, I think, is among the best, called Powder Keg, where Clive Owen, as the driver, has to escort uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who's a uh, war photographer. I mean, really visceral, everything that you would expect from, a, from an Inaritu film. The best, uh, the best of them, I think, is actually Tony Scott's, called Beat the Devil, where he has, um, I believe it's Gary Oldman... And uh God, why am I blanking on his name? Very famous singer, James Brown. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's there. Some of them, some of them are better than others. Guy Ritchie did one, and it happens to be made at the time when he was with Madonna. So of course, Madonna's in it. Oh. That is, de- it's among the weakest of yeah. them. But I, those BMW what? films are great. So yeah, there you go. There's a little bit of information about the man himself, and and coming to be the great filmmaker that I I don't know. I that's the thing that's interests me about Inarritu is beyond the last two like how aware are people of the first four.
0: Well, and that's that's a great question. And I think I think to some extent um it it, it depends like there I think there are people out there who will sometimes look to like oh, well what's what's winning the shit right now. And that was part of my fascination with with doing some of the extra research, especially in terms of the accolades is that he has not made a movie that wasn't up for at least one Academy Award. and um you know, the lowest the lowest critical score on here is 66 that I see, which is for beautiful. Um, but even then, there's that that both in terms of critical and audience is the lowest one of any of the movies. I mean, generally speaking, critics and people, like these movies and I will say despite the fact that for the most part the subject matter and and images at times are are hard to watch hard to to stomach um and the fact that they are as highly regarded as they are I think is 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 uh, really a testament to the work that he's doing
1: yeah I know the, the word that I kept coming back to as I'm taking my notes and and compiling all my little bits of, of whatever to have in front of me to do the show is visceral is the word that I just couldn't get away from. Yeah. So you'll, you'll probably hear me use it a handful yeah. of times throughout this show.
0: And it's, it's funny too. I mean, you know, and maybe, it, maybe this just goes to, to prove maybe, maybe people shouldn't make a movie every year, but like the consistency with, with his work and even, you know, I, we're, we're not to the rankings yet, but like, even the movies that I'm not a big fan of, I understand and can see the craft behind it. I, I I see what he's trying to do. And it's not like they're, I don't like them because they're God awful. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like he made a shitty film. They just didn't click with me in that way. But that's again, to just like try to take a step back, the consistency and quality of the work that he does is it's, it's kind of amazing. I mean, we're talking about one of only a handful of people who has ever won best director two years in a row. I mean, that's a feat. That's amazing. Yeah, that's,
1: I mean, that's crazy. The other, the other two are John Ford and Joseph L. Mankiewicz. So I, you talk, talk about being in some great company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I,
1: he's I, and little, little bits of trivia about him. He's the first Mexican filmmaker to be nominated, uh, for either director or producer in the history of the Academy Awards, the first Mexican filmmaker to receive a best director award at Cannes. um, First Mexican filmmaker to win an award for best original uh, an Academy Award for original screenplay, and and best picture, and he was also the first Latin American to be the the president of the jury at
0: Cannes. Yeah, yeah. So. so I mean, he is
1: a he is a trailblazer. He is a credit to his nation. He's definitely a a filmmaker that should be put on a pedestal. And like you said, I mean, even even if you don't connect, if there's something about his films. That doesn't click with you i mean you can't say any of them are bad movies yeah he's yeah. almost he's almost like paul thomas anderson in in that regard like I, the master the master may not click with you and that's totally fine but you can't say it's a bad movie
0: yeah for sure for sure i mean well i think i think it's a fucking masterpiece but yes i understand it is a masterpiece I, I just, oh i'm sorry
1: the, the better okay the better example is probably inherent vice
0: yeah yeah i, I would agree that that probably is the one Um, So let's talk about um, the six movies uh, that he's done. Uh, Chronologically, they are Amoris Peros from 2000, uh, 21 Grams, 2003, Babel, 2006, Beautiful, 2010, Birdman in 2014, and The Revenant the next year in 2015. Um, I don't know if we just want to... uh, kind of tackle accolades and stuff as we get to each film yeah we
1: should probably just do that we'll get we'll give you um uh, because as i said i don't know what people's familiarity is with the first four so we'll give we'll give you a little bit of a plot synopsis as well as as how it did awards wise before we duke it out for whether it should be at that certain place in each other's list
0: um do we want to talk about collaborators now or do we want to uh get to yeah, the ranking sh-
1: yeah sure let's let's talk okay. about some of the people he's worked with and uh, you got to start I think I think one of the most important of the people that he works with Rodrigo Prieto, That's, his cinematographer hoping... on on the first four movies.
0: Yes, yeah, and and then obviously what a career he would go on to have working with uh, with Scorsese and um, uh, does he work Did he work with? Oh God, no. He, he hey, I got him. I got a
1: handful of movies that he worked on. He oh, he it. was yeah. cinematographer on Twenty Fifth Hour and 8 mile he did those in the same year. That's that's a hell of a good year, man. I mean, I, I'm not the biggest fan of 8 mile, but Oh, I am though. <laughs> that but that's that's still a great year to do those two movies in oh, one year. Fucking incredible. Time. Yeah. Uh he also did Argo and yeah, like you said, uh Scorsese working with him on Silence Irishman which he got nods for, also Wolf of Wall Street and then he got another Academy Award nomination for Brokeback Mountain.
0: Oh, that's he. I didn't realize that was him. That's yeah. yeah. That's great.
1: Oh, I mean solid solid I I'm not the biggest fan of it but I mean it's a it's a great looking film.
0: Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So yeah, and uh, and then and then, uh, the the last two cinematographers uh, uh Emmanuel Lubezki, which yeah, he didn't work with as as much as as Rodrigo, but I mean, uh I'm sure he's enjoying his two Oscars right now.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. He won for for Revenant and Birdman, so Yeah. I mean that's that's a pretty good streak right there. It's it's funny to me that he's trading up cinematographers for his his new movie. I wonder what Darius Kanji is going to bring to the mix.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's but it's always it's so funny because I'm always of two minds about that, right? I'm always I always like to see directors go back to to cinematographers and editors and production designers because there's a trust in a shorthand. But but then again, by that same token, I like seeing these these well-established directors, and I get Darius Kanji isn't a no-name DP, but like, well, I'm gonna switch it up. I'll go with somebody else now, right? Like to, to to just show that they're not so stuck in their ways that they're trying to kind of ever evolve, and and get better as they as they go along.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been. I mean, by the time this thing comes out, I'm assuming it won't be until next year, so we'll we'll have seven years since the last movie. New movie, Let's get a new flavor, bring a new color palette, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I really only had two other collaborators, so um, maybe maybe they're there you have them as well. Um, uh, almost the editor for every single film is Steven Mirion.
1: Yeah, no, I've I've got him on my list as well. I mean, he's got nominations for Babel and Revenant. He won his Oscar, actually, for Traffic, yep, which I think is probably what brought him on to 21 Grams, because 21 Grams, when we talk about it, has a very similar sort of color palette to Traffic, and they did the same sort of thing where they were using different film stocks for different characters.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely noticed that as well. And um and then the other one I was going to uh, mention is uh Gustavo Santaolalla uh, his uh his composer for the first four films um which you know it's it's they're all very similar but I I still like the flavor of them um he he yeah, won his...
1: not not intrusive at all.
0: Yeah, he won his uh his Oscar for uh Babel um that year so he he was able to kind of Get an Oscar win. I think he was also nominated for. Was he? Did he do the, the score for *Brokeback Mountain* as well?
1: Yeah, he actually he won for *Brokeback that's, Mountain*. So that's right. Ang Lee, Ang Lee has got to be an *Inaritoo* fan. If he's, I think that's those aren't the only two people. If I remember
0: when I looked at that, he he pulled over from *Inaritoo*'s production probably probably and 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 you know and I, we could talk a little bit about guillermo ariaga who was who was the the sole screenwriter on the first uh three films did you want to say anything about about him
1: well just uh, here's 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 where i i take sort of umbrage with within is he banned ariaga from the the premiere at can for babel because they kind of got into it over who had quote-unquote ownership of 21 grams or who deserved the credit for it you know there's this whole thing where where Inarritu is claiming that he as the auteur has sole credit of these movies which i you know what i really i really despise this and i'm trying to remember who it was i think it was Ken Loach that said i was listening to years ago listen to the director's commentary on uh, the wind that shakes the barley And he was talking about one thing that really pisses him off is when he sees the credits to a film and he sees a film by such and such. Well, no, it isn't, because it's a collaborative medium. It's not by you. You can say, you know, directed by or or whatever version of that you want to say, but to say a film by you, that's just, that's just smacks of so much arrogance. Sure. And, you know, being up your own arse. And so when, when, Inoritu claims that he is the one who gets sole credit for the film because he is the auteur. I mean, yeah, I'm not trying to take anything away from a director's vision, but where would you be without the other, I don't know, how many people did it take to make Babel? Probably 600, 700 people it took to make that fucking movie.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, so on and so far down the line. I mean, there's the people immediately involved with the production, but then there's a whole crew of people putting together, marketing the fucking thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody... You, you you should feel like if you if you did anything on it, if you were just a production assistant on the film, you should be able to feel like, hey, I I was a part of making this movie happen, right? I'm just a... I'm a part of it. And maybe, you know, sure. I mean, does... In a real way, does Inaritu deserve, like, a good chunk of the credit? Well, absolutely. Of course. Of course he does. But, you know, to just... To, to try to make it all about you is it's is a problem and and it's it's unfortunately it's it's not just in film it's in it's in theater and tv and, and and outside of the entertainment industry at all there's a lot of like you know i i got to a point now where i can claim oh no i did it all but really you know there were steps along the way which you you needed help you got help and and that's how it goes
1: yeah, and look, I don't wanna I don't wanna just blanket say and, and paint with a broad stroke saying that I'm taking Ariaga's side. I mean who knows what went down between them and sure. how bad it really was, but when, when Inuritu bans him from coming to the premiere of the movie it can, I mean you kinda come out looking like the dick. Yeah, in that oh one.
0: sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so it goes.
1: And I know he also came under fire for his treatment of the crew during the, the making of the Revenant as well.
0: Well, I didn't. But you want, that, that what, what, sounded,
1: that sounded like a hell of a production. So
0: let us broach that when we when we get to, to talking about it.
1: <laughs> Definitely.
0: Um. So here's so here's what we're gonna do. If you haven't listened to us do to it before, uh, we're gonna count backwards from in this case number six. Um, as soon as we uh get to the highest ranked. Uh, uh, film. So let's say film A on my is number six, and film A for you doesn't isn't doesn't come until number four. We won't talk about it until it hits your number four. Um, we will try and find some kind of a a uh, an average uh, that is the most the most fair, and ultimately come up with a definitive a thousand and one by one ranking of two's films. Any. Any last minute thoughts before we just start start talking about the, the ranking and what and what we're doing?
1: I'm I'm still not a hundred percent on my five and six, so let's just I've been I I texted you this earlier, man. Like of all the lists that we have done, and we have done a few at this point, I've been yeah. agonizing over this one. Like one through four, I'm not worried about. I know my number one is probably gonna be the controversial pick, but that's that's what I do. That's what I do here. I like okay. to push buttons. I like to poke bears, but my my number 5 and 6, it might be a two-way tie. It might be a dead heat. I don't know, man. I'm going to need a little bit of guidance, maybe a shove in one direction from you or another.
0: Well, let's Okay. So, I'm 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 not as I'm pretty I'm pretty confident about my list. Like I, and I will say, and maybe maybe one one last thing before we get into it is that I had seen all these before except for Beautiful. That was that was it was a first viewing for me. Otherwise, I'd only seen all these films just once, so. so oh really. Refreshers were what these were. Yeah, like. yeah,
1: yeah. I think uh, Beautiful, I had only seen once, and Twenty One Grams, I had only seen once. All the rest, I had seen more than that. Obviously, it had been some time. Like okay. The Revenant was, other than Birdman, I think The Revenant is like the newest one that I had seen, and even that was, whenever it hit Blu-ray, so.
0: Yeah. It's been it's been a while. Okay, so let's... I, I want to start with you. I, I want to know right now, just however you have it, what your number six is.
1: If I'm not doing the Dead Heat two-way tie. Yes. Uh, my number six is 21 grams.
0: Okay. My number six is Babel. That does not surprise me. Okay.
1: My, my, it's, it's higher for me.
0: Okay. What is your number five?
1: My number five is Birdman. Okay, and I know I know that's higher for you.
0: Uh, it is, it is. So I and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I think that order is correct because my so we, now we'll get because my number five is 21 grams. All right. Okay. So, uh, 21 grams. Um, is essentially, uh, it, and I'm going to tell us out of order, but in, and we'll get to that in a second, but essentially, uh, the movie, I would say, mostly re- revolves around Sean Penn's character. Sean Penn is dying and needs a new heart, um, and he's on a transplant list, and um, unfortunately, slash luckily for him, um, Benicio Del Toro accidentally runs down Naomi Watts' husband and two daughters in a hit-and-run. And, run. and uh, as uh as john houston oh it, wait yeah john houston right that's yeah. his name yeah thank you I was like, uh,
1: Dan, I did, I did. no uh it's john Dang. houston's son Dan, danny houston
0: yeah I, I fuck i was like i, I did, they didn't sound right when i said it um uh danny houston I, lo- dies. I love danny houston yeah and um his heart now goes to sean penn and sean penn kind of in a state of i'm alive i want to pay thanks or i don't know decide decides to find out who he got the heart from and that's how he gets introduced to naomi watts Thus begins a sort of crazy triangle that um, basically gets them to a point where Naomi Watts wants to kill Benicio del Toro in, in kind of an act of revenge for the the havoc that he has wreaked on her life. Boom, bare bones. That's what happens.
1: I mean, there's there's a lot that happens in
0: that movie, but yeah, yes. that's that's a good
1: that's a good synopsis, man. Well done.
0: Yeah. So so here's the thing, though. This movie. Um, is is I mean, intentionally so jumbled. It, it is a bunch of short scenes that kind of are, are picked and chosen in an order that does not follow any linear fashion. I don't mean that in the sense of like Pulp Fiction, right? Where you've got like three different chunks or even like, sorry, like Amoros Peros, which we haven't talked about yet. But like Amoros Peros follows three different tracks and they kind of overlap, but you stick with, you basically stick with a story for quite a while. Not the case in this one. This one jumps. I mean, every couple of minutes, it, it jumps to a different scene. Some of them only last about twenty seconds or so before we cut to something completely different. So, so I want to stick. I want to. I would love to stick with just the editing style and the choice of of linear structure. I'm assuming that is why it is. Uh, part of the reason why it is as low on your list.
1: Oh, absolutely. It feels. There's something about it that seems until you get to I don't know, say let's just say the last twenty five, maybe I'll be generous and say thirty minutes, until you get into the last quarter of the movie, the cutting seems very arbitrary. Yeah. I don't know if that's the kind of the word that you would choose to describe it. I mean it's I I'm not adv- I'm not advocating for it to be a more uh, what's the word I'm looking for a more sort of atypical type of film but I think I don't think putting the film in a linear put choosing a linear narrative would have hurt the story I think the story is interesting enough to where it doesn't have to be this way stylistically
0: so I, I I'm 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 so I feel so conflicted on this because I don't I think it's it is an interesting choice. It's an interesting thing to do for this movie, but by by doing it the way that it by by putting the movie in this in this order of scenes, it takes a lot of the mystery out. And I don't want to talk so much about Babel yet, but part of my my complaint with both of these movies is it's cut in a way where there's no mystery, right? There, it's not it's not what's going to happen next. It's when is it going to happen? When is this thing? Oh, that's and, been alluded and, and to and how going to it, happen?
1: and how it affects the people involved, right?
0: Yeah, and it, it and it, it's it doesn't it doesn't change the performances, it doesn't change the the directing style of the movie, but it, it changes the way in which you watch it, and and I found myself checking out because I, I they took away so much of the mystery for me.
1: Oh well, yeah, one of the, one of the opening scenes is Sean Penn dying. I mean, yeah. having, having been, you know, I mean, so let's just, it's a movie that at this point is almost 20 years old. So I think we're fine to spoil it. I mean, if you're, we if you're listening to, to this thing, yeah. If if you're listening to this thing and you haven't seen all six of these movies, well, I, I apologize, but it's going to get very spoilery very quickly.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, Sean Penn commits suicide at the end of that movie, essentially. Yeah. And that's, that's the way the movie opens. Mm-hmm. So he goes through all of this and and his reason is is it clear why he makes the decision that he makes
0: I, I i don't think it's clear i think maybe we're meant to believe that like his his death might bring about some kind of peace for both of them you know in a way that like now her husband's heart the last piece of her husband is finally gone and that by and by doing it, it it's like it's it's a it's a it's a chance for benicio to play the hero to to play the savior when he didn't play it earlier i think i think we're meant to believe that it's going to push these two to 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 make a decision to get to a point where they can now in a way move on
1: See, even even after my third viewing i mean you were still able to glean more than i was see here's here's my here's my back and forth
0: sorry but that's me being like Sort of like a, like a, that's my, my, my PhD bullshit. Like, I'm going to delve deep to find it. But, but it's, sorry, to, to answer your question, though, no, it's not clear. It's not clear. That's me really overthinking it.
1: That's you having to do more work that I think is necessary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's part of my, part of my issue with both of my films that are at five and six is there, I can't fault the performances. Okay. So in 21 Grams, I think we've seen benicio and sean penn do better i don't know that we've seen naomi watts do better this might be naomi watts's best performance i don't know how you how you sit with
0: that um it it is really good i mean i would say i would say inner ritu probably got two of her better performances i think Absolutely. i think she's great in birdman
1: yeah definitely but the, my my reasons for these two being at the bottom is again nothing to do with the performances. I think the I think the, the plots are very compelling. It's the, the stylistic choices, the ways in which they are made are so arbitrary and don't serve the film as a whole, whether um, it be the cutting in twenty one grams or the choice of of the the illusion of a one shot in Birdman.
0: I, I- I I didn't do too many too much I didn't read too many reviews on these films, but I got done with Twenty One Grams. I was like I I was curious to know what Ebert thought, and Ebert gave it three stars. But I, I want it Can I Can I Do you mind if I take a second and just read his No No Please Yeah review. No No Yeah This is this is how he starts his review. Twenty One Grams knows all about its story, but only lets us discover it a little at a time. Well, every movie does that, but usually they tell their stories in a chronological order, so we have the illusion that we're watching as the events happen to the characters. In this film, everything has already happened, and it's as if God or the director is shuffling the deck after the game is over. Here is the question we have to answer. Is this approach better than telling the same story from beginning to end? And and that's what we that's what we've talked about. And in his review, I, I actually really like this review. And he ends by saying I do not want to give the wrong impression. This is an accomplished and effective film despite my reservations. It grips us, moves us, astonishes us. Some of the revelations do benefit by coming as a surprise, but artists often grow by learning what to leave out. I have a feeling that Inaritu's fracture technique, which was so impressive in his first film and is not so satisfactory in this one, may inspire impatience a third time around. He is so good that it's time for him to get out of his own way.
1: Oh, that's perfect. So that's, that's why Ebert was who he was, man. That is, I, I don't know how you could say it better than that.
0: I really like, I, I, you know, and I, you know, I don't, I, I try to find a reviewer too when we do, when we do a regular episode and just kind of stick with it. But I, I really like, I read most of his reviews on the films uh, that he did for these. And, but this one stood out because it, it so perfectly encapsulated my thoughts of the movie. I don't, I don't think the performances are bad. I don't think that, I think the story that's in there is solid this is one of those times where I'm like, I, I advocate for like a, a quote-unquote straight cut of the movie. I would love to see this chronologically. I would love to see if this story is compelling on its own merits and not because it's jumbled or shuffled.
1: Well, I like, think I think you could still fracture it. You just don't have to fracture it as as extremely as he did. I think a, a better way to open the film is is the party scene, and you have Benicio pull up and then confess to his wife what he's done and then you could sort of tell backwards from there meeting up with Sean Penn and Naomi Watts as you go. I mean there's a there's a way to do it it just doesn't have to be as as Ebert says. I mean I think I think he's 100% right. Arieto was in his own way making this movie. I think there's there's uh maybe a little bit too much influence from as I mentioned Traffic and and a bit too much influence from from Tarantino. Yeah. I mean possibly. you look at you look at the first three movies, these first three films in what Inaritsu calls this sort of unconnected trilogy of death with Amores Peros, Twenty One Grams, and Babel, and they all follow the same they all they all have very similar themes, they're told in very similar ways, but Twenty One Grams is the most extreme example of it. Yes. And it and it doesn't it doesn't really work. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, I mean at the Oscars, Watts and del toro were nominated i mean they both lost it's funny that sean penn was also nominated and won but not for this film obviously he won for mystic river um yep. as far as far as like other a little awards because i do i i, I kind of when i prepared these i treated them all like six mini episodes so i got all the awards information and the yeah. rotten tomatoes and yeah. all that other stuff like we usually do you remember how i had station agent as a recommend yep last week I do. This actually, it lost original screenplay to Station Agent at the BAFTAs. So that kind of ah, that coincidentally kind of came full circle there. But it was a, it was in the it was a, a National Board of Review top ten. They also gave Sean Penn, uh best actor, and uh, it was a big hit as well at the Venice Film Festival, where I believe I believe it premiered at Venice. Which is yeah. always, I mean, if a film if a film does well at Venice, you can usually it's usually going to get some sort of Oscar love. That seems to be like the the testing ground for a lot of films that go on to Oscar
0: glory. The only thing I wanted to say about Accolades was that I think in another year where Mystic River either comes out the year before or the year after, I, Sean Penn probably gets an Oscar nomination for this though. I mean, I do think that it's the kind of performance, it's a showy, emotional performance that it would have been like, look at all these. And I think... You know, in, in another year, maybe two, Melissa Leo gets nominated for supporting uh, supporting actress, and you just oh, got all I know. these actors. know. I mean, how
1: how good is she in this, man?
0: She, I, I, if we were doing an episode on this film, I think she gets the unsung hero award. Oh, 100 on percent. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. She's so good.
0: So there we, so we've, so we go. We've, we've, we've broached the first film. That there we go. We've got our first one. We've talked about. Now we are on to Ian's number 4. What is your number 4, my good friend?
1: My number 4 is his first film, Amores Peros.
0: My number 4 is The Revenant.
1: Really? It, that seems yes. that seems low. I I would have assumed that was higher. It's it's okay. it's higher for me.
0: Okay. Well, what what is your number 3?
1: My number 3 is Babel.
0: Okay. So there we go. So we're now now we can we can talk a little bit about Babel. Do you want to do the little synopsis on Babel?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Babel was your number six.
0: It was my number six.
1: Ah, oh, that bra- I, 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 man, I could have, I could have put money on that. I could have put money on Babel being your number six. That breaks my heart. I love this film. Uh, so Babel, as as we mentioned, with twenty one grams, sort of told out of order, following. A few separate people. Babel, however, is on a much larger scale, actually spans the globe. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, it takes place over three continents. We have uh, Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt. They are a, a couple who are taking a sort of vacation, but it's a bittersweet vacation. They have lost a child. Uh, you get the impression that Brad Pitt didn't handle it well, disappeared for a while, and that has caused the, the marriage to sort of disintegrate And they are in Morocco. They are trying to put the marriage back together the best they can, but not communicating. Uh, then we also have these two young Moroccan boys. They are uh, given a rifle by their dad and say, hey, you need, to, you need to use this rifle. You need to kill a couple jackals every day because the jackals are, are taking out the goats. They uh unfortunately shoot Kate Blanchett they're on a they're taking little pot shots at vehicles and they happen to hit the tour bus that Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett are on which is ultimately the the big action that that sort of propels the momentum propels the story this rifle is the sort of centerpiece of the film. Then we also have uh, Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt's children. Uh, they are being supervised by their their live-in nanny. She's played by Adriana Barraza. Amelia is her character's name. And she is left in a sort of quandary. You know, She's got to take care of these kids, but of course, unbeknownst to her, Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett, they can't get back when they said they were going to get back. And so she is left with, well, do I find someone else to take care of these children? no one else can take care of him well I really want to go to Mexico for my son's wedding and so she decides to take the kids out of the country down to Mexico with her and her nephew played by Gail Garcia Brunel who was in his first film Amores Perros*. and then our our sort of fourth story follows a young Japanese girl uh who is a deaf mute we find out that it was her father who uh had owned the rifle originally, gave it to his Moroccan guide as a gift at the end of his hunting trip, and she, as as you will find out, as we'll talk about throughout the course of the movie and why the movie is called Babel, she obviously has communication problems because she's a deaf mute. But she, uh, that's that's not the only roadblock. She is, I, I'm guessing, she's 17 or 18. She's having a hard time finding her place in the world, communicating with her dad uh, after her mother's suicide, just communicating. With the world around her um, so to get right into it I mean her story might be the most interesting in the film but it also feels to me like it's from a different movie
0: oh thank you so much yes
1: I, I figured this might be part of your problem with the film
0: well it, it, it's that yes part of my problem is that like I, I, I was absolutely the most interested in her storyline but it was so it 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 felt it felt and you, you might disagree with this this analogy but it felt just felt so ham fisted it felt like a, a piss poor attempt at making this slightly more global slightly more look at how expansive this one story is and how far it connects because everything else makes sense right the two Moroccan boys uh, Brad Pitt Kate Blanchett and then and then their kids uh, with with uh, Adriana Barraza. Like, that all makes sense. I, I get the dots are so clear. But it's it's like so far into the movie, you find out, oh, wait, the gun actually was his. That's That's how we connect her into it. It absolutely is a different movie. It absolutely is a different thing. And yet, I am the most captivated with it.
1: Well, like like you said, with twenty one Grams with having to do much too much work as to far as far as Sean Penn's intentions are concerned, I think we're forced to do a little bit too much work in connecting the dots as to why her character is so important and relevant. Her her father is very clearly neglecting her. He can't deal with the loss of his wife, as I imagine is I mean, that's rightfully so. I mean his his wife took her own life. And so now that's that's sort of driven a wedge between them and we have to imagine he's probably going on more of these types of trips in order to sort of heal that wound but of course at the expense of his relationship with his daughter so she is ultimately i mean this movie is very much about suffering and she is the one that is that suffers because of it so yeah no i i I get it i i it's a hundred percent a valid point and a valid sort of frustration with this movie it's just it's to me it's so compelling that i it doesn't bother me
0: see and i i i don't find it compelling and 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 i want to there's I, there's two there's two things i thought about when i watched this movie and i this is a good time to mention the one thing so in in acting there's a so sanford meisner was an acting professor he's on the uh, like the same lineage as like lee strasberg and Uta Hagen, the people who learned from stanislavsky and brought the method back to the u.s and uh uh, Meisner has this exercise it's called it's the 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 three partner exercise and essentially what happens I'm gonna just dumb it down a lot one person has an activity they're trying to do and at different points they are interrupted by three different people it's an act and. And there's a relationship between the person doing the activity and the people coming in. And each person coming in is bringing in a, a complication, something that is stopping them from trying to do what they're trying to accomplish, but it also, it, it's important, right? And so somebody comes in and brings something else and then they leave and then somebody else comes in and they can last anywhere from like 20 to 40 minutes. But they, in a way, they can be seen as very, very overdramatic, right? Because the whole idea is that the stakes are high, right? One in particular that I saw when I was in grad school was somebody was trying to like sell drugs to pay off a debt that they that they owed, right? Which already sounds a little bit over the top, but it was very compelling. And each person brought in a new thing, and it was like, oh God, watching this person try to handle this like this drug stuff, but deal with the situation. Like I I was in, I was and I I love that kind of stuff. This felt like a three-partnered exercise on crack. There was too, there was too much one of one of the too much things was please explain to me why the Moroccan boys there needed to be a side story where one of them is looking and masturbating to I, his sister question mark why is that yeah no movie? it's
1: it's 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 his sister
0: but but and I, like, I,
1: I I can't I can't answer that i I will say that what stops this movie from being like the number one or number two spot is it's it is too long. I'm yeah. not going to debate you on that. It is too long.
0: Well, and, and speaking of length, I mean, 21 grams is just a few minutes over two hours. Birdman isn't over two hours, but all of his other movies are right around that two and a half hour mark. And he is, Inaritu is demanding your time. If you are going to watch one of his movies, you are going to take a chunk out of your day and fucking do it.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Especially when we come to The Revenant, because that thing's damn yeah. near two hours and 40.
0: But yeah, I just, I, I felt like it was all too, it was all, it was just too much. It was too much. I didn't feel connected to Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt. Again, I, I almost felt like the the story of them lo- losing a child, again, that feels tacked on. I'm like, why can't they just be over in Morocco on a vacation? And then it happens. It's like, it's, the, the losing of the child is unnecessary. There are so many, un- and then unfortunately- the rinko Kikuchi stuff the most i think the most captivating part of the whole movie is in and of itself unnecessary to i think the grand like the overarching connected plot of this movie and i just i just thought it was all too much oh dude, i
1: i can't debate you on any of that as much as i want to i mean my i am i am captivated by most of it even though i know that there is too much there is a there is a sense watching this film that you are a sort of there's a, there's a voyeuristic nature about this movie which can be uncomfortable in places I mean staying with with Rinko uh, I'm gonna mispronounce it Kakuchi I think that's Kikuchi. You, I, I think you nailed it but um, the the dentist scene. It's incredibly uncomfortable to watch. And, and the question is, yeah, do do we need it? Probably not. But, I mean, it it helps with character building. It helps to show just how disconnected she is I, from I the be, world around her.
0: I want to be very clear, though. Like, I I think if, if you want to talk about what's necessary to, I think, the overall story. What I mean by, like, you could cut out that whole thing and Babel still is, I think, is Babel. But I also want to be very clear, like... Again, I thought all her shit was cap. Like yes, uncomfortable as it is, that's a great scene. That is is that is telling you exactly what's going through her mind. The scene at the club is fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: But it's not her movie. It's not about her, (laughs) And, and it's so it's so. Like I don't know. I, yeah. Well, and what's I, amazing and I feel like I'm in is the, I feel like I'm in the minority because I and to bring it to really quickly just bring it back to accolades like this kind of shit ton of Academy Award nominations. Picture oh, director, yeah. her and Adrian uh, Barraza got nominated. Original screenplay, editing, and one score. And then like I'm not gonna go through all the other ones, but like all the other big, the BAFTAs, SAGs, the PGA and WGA nominated. Like it, it was a it was all over the place, all over the map. It was
1: up. It was up for the Palm Door. It can.
0: Yeah. So I get that it was critically acclaimed. I'm about to make a comparison that is probably going to make you upset.
1: Are you about to break my brain?
0: No, no, probably not. But so I, again, I went, I went to my good friend, Roger Ebert, and I checked out what his, and he, he gave this a four star review as I think a lot of critics did at the time. They really liked the movie. Then I checked another review of his for a movie that came out the year before also four stars also very much about how connected we all are to each other this movie felt a lot like crash to me this movie felt a lot like isn't it interesting how all of us are connected in some way right and I also here's the thing. I I go to bat for Crash. I like Crash. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna feel bad about it. I can. It's like it's like you have to like Crash or Brokeback, and like if you like you can't like both. No, no, no both are both are great movies. I like Crash. I'm not but a like, huge
1: fan of either of them, if I'm honest.
0: Well, that's fine. That's fine too. But like, I just this movie just felt like it took what I liked about Amoris Morris Perros. And even what, even what I liked about 21 grams and just was like, we're going to amp it up. And, and that's where it just doesn't work for me. All, all of the ramped up interconnectedness. This is where it, it this, this is where it doesn't work for me. This film. I just, I, I basically, I check out. I don't, I don't really care about anybody's story. And then when I do like, Oh, I was so mad watching this movie. Cause I had, I, I, again, I had not seen this since at least 2007, right? Like, Whenever I watched it before, after the Oscar, Oscar, you know, wins and stuff that year, there's a moment where, um, Adriana Barraza, I forget her character, Amelia. It has the two kids, and she's in the desert, and she's carrying the daughter and and walking with the son, and and they're just in the middle of fucking nowhere, and she's like, I'm. She sets the girl down and tells the son. I'm gonna go look for help, and he's freaking out. And but she she leaves him, and she, and, and and they go, and um, eventually she finds uh, she finds Michael Pena driving around, and and um, and and like she gets arrested for whatever, and I get that part of the, this is part of the story. We're talking about what it is to be uh, an immigrant living in America, and and that's what they do. But but my issue happens where they decide to cut, before letting us know that they find the kids there's no reason for that that is editing for the sake of making you go oh no are they going to be okay when ultimately they are and it's i i found it to be a really douchebag cut and and maybe and i'm <laughs> not gonna lie this is this is a dad that's the dad comment in me but like yeah yeah, if, yeah. The, if the kids are okay and you've already done this like because it's not like a revelation like it just the next scene it's like the first line that like the cop says like it's a good thing we found those kids I'm like well fuck you just tell us that you found the kids because it's 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 lazy over dramatic editing to make us think oh my god did the kids die when we come back it's like oh no they're fine when when really the only way you should have the only place you should have gone to from that cut is they died they died do that this movie Honestly, you should have either killed off those kids with that cut or at least got us to the point where we knew the kids were safe before we cut away. Because I just, I found that to be blatantly overdramatic. I fucking hated that.
1: So you're, so the, the, the love that it got for editing with the, the nominations does not, I'm, I'm going to assume, does not make you happy?
0: No. And again, I think it's almost by default. If you're telling a movie in a non-linear story, storytelling way, and it's got a good director behind it, it's going to get nominated for Best Editing. It just feels like, oh, that's what we're going to do. Here you go. Take it.
1: Well, if you if you didn't already know, you'll be happy to know it lost editing to The Departed at the Oscars, and it lost editing to... I found this really interesting. It lost editing at the BAFTAs to United 93.
0: That's a good movie.
1: It is a great movie.
0: It's a hard movie, but it's a good uh, that's, movie.
1: That's, I mean, you want to talk about a one and done. Yeah. Yeah, I, never need, I, I loved it, but I never need to see it again. <laughs>
0: That's a great point. That is a, that's
1: a great point. Hey, I, I don't know, but you yeah. said so much that I want to I respond to there. I, I don't know. even, I was just, just letting you go. <laughs> here's here's something, while I've got awards in mind that'll piss you off. I remember <laughs> that year for awards very, very clearly, because that was one of before, before I think last year, where you and I deliberately made the choice to watch. I know you, you probably watch most of it every year, at least I'm assuming you do. I mean, last year was the first time that I'd actually watched it in more than a decade, but I do remember very clearly watching it for this year that Babel came out. And obviously the big thing was, is Scorsese, is, is Scorsese finally going to get it? And you know what? I was pulling for him to win director. I really wanted Babel to win picture. Why? I at the time I mean I I am less in love with it now hence why it's number why it's number 3 but at the time man I mean this movie really spoke to me especially being where I was in in 2006 and 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 leaving having having my whole spat with religion and and leaving my family's church and the fact that it was called Babel Like, that really spoke to me, and the idea, the movie, like you talked about, I mean, we're all, the movie goes, look how we all are connected on a global scale, but what's more important to me about this film is the breakdown of communication. For anybody who's not a biblical scholar, or has read their Bible, the story of Babel is, you know, we, in biblical times, everybody living in closer quarters, whatever, I I what I'm not going to pretend to be some sort of biblical scholar but what I remember of the story is that at the time we all spoke one language in in this story and we wanted to to meet God we wanted to get to heaven so we started building a tower this this tower of babel yeah God saw this old testament God is very angry wrathful he, he's a douchebag essentially and he went no 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 this will not stand. You can't all work together like this to try and expose me for the fucking fraud that I clearly am. And so cursed all of us to speak different languages so that we could no longer communicate. I mean, that, that was one of those things that just broke my brain as a child and made me start poking holes in this stuff that I was being sort of conditioned with. I don't believe in brainwashing. I think that's bullshit, but I do believe in conditioning. Sure. I was I was being conditioned to believe this fucking nonsense. And it's just one of those things where, how can you love this guy so much if he is clearly such a vengeful, wrathful, angry douchebag and has caused us to have breakdown in our communications, breakdowns in the way that we can work together. And I think that, because the film is called Babel, I, I think that's that's very much at the heart of this film, the ways in which we should be able to communicate but just aren't able to do it, whether we're like the, the, the Japanese girl, whether if we're deaf mute or if we're a couple who are supposed to be walking through this life together and one of us abandons the other one when there's a situation that we can't handle. I don't know. It just it there's a lot about it. I think I think there was more about it that spoke to me then, but there still is a lot of stuff that resonates with me.
0: No, and, it, and it's – and that's, again, like I, I, I want to refer back to what we were saying at the at the top before we even got to the ranking. It's like as much as I find some of the choices uh, from a storytelling standpoint stylistically not exactly what I want, it's hard for me to not go – like part of me looks at the look – how, look how connected we all are and kind of scoffs. But then also I, I do – like <sighs> – if I can pretend for a moment that Rinko Kikuchi's character is so much more involved, it also, it, it, I think the, the moments in which it works the best are when I, the stuff with, with, uh, Amelia and the kids and, and Cape Lanchette and, and Brad Pitt over Morocco. And when we can kind of focus on that back and forth, that's when it worked the best for me. And honestly, I think outside of the, the Rinko Kikuchi, uh, deaf stuff, the, the stuff with, with, amelia and the kids and the border stuff i really like i thought was very captivating and 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 really kept me in i just was so upset with that one editing choice but like dramatically what happens to her it's 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 satisfying in the sense of that's such a tough it's a tough moment but dramatically it makes sense it's captivating it's compelling and it makes you lean in Honestly, I, I thought Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett were sort of the weak links of the movie. I, I just did not I did I could not com- connect with them.
1: Well, I think I, I agree with half of that. We've definitely seen Kate Blanchett be much better, but for me this this Brad Pitt role this was this was kind of a change for him to see him as, you know, he's he's playing something of an everyman, but he's also not he's playing a guy that that loses control of the world around him and and isn't able really ever throughout the course of the entire movie to get that control back i mean he's not playing the brad he's, he's never really done the superhero superman thing but i mean there there are times in this film where i think for the one of the first times really outside of seven one of the first times in his career where we doubt that he's going to be able to to make this situation right that everything is going to be okay you know, yeah. at the, that point in his career he is a leading man and we go into a movie going oh he's the leading man everything's going to work out okay but there's like this shadow of doubt running through the entire film i think it was a i think it was a great decision for him to make this movie and i think he is i think he is fantastic in it i don't want to take anything from away from kate blanchett cuz she still has a ton of work to do even though i mean she's incapacitated from most of the movie
0: yeah yeah i just and but it's I, not really about their even their performances just just the, the characters mostly i just felt yeah yeah i i wanted to care about them more and i just i just didn't i just i just did But
1: I, I get it it's okay man i mean it, it bums me out but i get it are you uh, ready to move on from babel
0: sure well and now we can move on to my three which and now we can talk about amoris Peros, which is where we go
1: the, the number one in the trilogy of death, as he yes. calls it,
0: yeah. So yeah, Morris Perros basically follows uh, three, essentially three different duets as we go through this this story. The first revolves around um, Gail Garcia Bernal and and his character, who who he's basically fallen in love with his his brother's wife and wants to run off with her, but doesn't have the money or means to support it. So he starts. He starts uh putting his dogs into these dog fights and is earning money along the way and i don't know much i want to kind of jump into what happens in that plot later but it's basically he's basically planning to run off with his brother's wife um with the money he's making from these dog fights and then there's our second storyline which revolves around um a man who is leaving his wife to live with a model uh and the model just happens to be um well i guess we'll talk about how interconnected everything is Everything connects around this car accident that happens uh, early on in the movie. The car accident directly involves Gail Garcia Bernal and the woman driving the car. The woman is the model who is uh, sort of now hooking up with this this um, this guy who's leaving his wife, and their storyline basically follows around like how can they live their lives now with her now uh, kind of kind of incapacitated in a wheelchair and how that's affecting their relationship. And the third storyline is about this guy who is sort of a kind of a street walker, homeless man who used to be a gorilla and is sort of doing really he's doing these hits for I I want to say probably like a corrupt cop. Um, And is is uh, finds out that his his wife, who he abandoned a long time ago, has died and is trying to work up the courage to reconnect with his daughter. Um, Again, that's bare bones. I skipped a lot of shit, but like it's there's a again, like most of his movies, there's a lot going on. Um. So, Amores Peros.
1: I mean, it's a it's a hard watch. I'm I'm not gonna make any bones about it. I mean, if anybody is is deeply affected by any sort of animal abuse in films, I mean, trigger warning right here and now. I mean, the dog fights in it are. I mean, they could have fooled me that they weren't real.
0: Yeah. It's. It's. It, and I, I remember the first time I watched it, which I, I mean at least 10 years ago at this point, um, I immediately went on to IMDB and was like, did they really fucking kill the, and like, but like, no, apparently they were fine. You know, any shot of the dog lying limp, they were, they were just, they were given like sleeping, basically like a tranquilizer and boom, there you go. Um, but yeah, that's just, it's harsh.
1: It's, it's nuts. I mean, I mean, I, I'll i take in word for it. I guess he had to prove it that we were, I guess it was going to get banned in in britain for all the complaints that it was getting so i mean he had to go in front of the 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 bbfc the british board of film classification and prove to them that this was all simulated and i guess they had you know the dogs had muzzles and there was like bits of fishing wire in there to to stop them like I, i don't know exactly how they do it but i'll i'll give him the benefit of the doubt i mean he he went out of his way to prove yeah just how simulated it was. Apparently the dogs were playing. I mean, some of it really doesn't look like playing.
0: You know what though? As I will say now, as, as the owner of two dogs, um, I, I do watch my dog. Like when they, when I let them out in the backyard, our younger one, like really goes after Bosco, like Baxter, uh, like attacks Bosco. And it really, like, it looks vicious, but then they come in and like, they're both just like, what what's up what's going on we're fine what, what, why'd you stop why'd you stop us what are you doing and so and i i it looks it looks obscenely vicious in the movie which is why it, i think it is as emotionally compelling as as it is it's 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 hard to watch and it you can't look away you know kind of just like the the car accident that happens later in the movie it's it's like watching this happen it's like you can't you can't not watch it it's it's amazing
1: it, it really is. I mean, uh, it's just a hell of a first feature. And I, like you, you said, know, I mean, n- none, of, none of his films have gone without some kind of Oscar contention. I mean, it was it was up for the Globe and the Oscar for uh, Best Foreign Film. It lost both of those to, to Crouching Tiger. Uh, it did win at the BAFTAs, actually, the next year, because we didn't get it till a year later in Britain. So it wasn't eligible until the next year. So it did actually win at the BAFTAs, where it didn't have the, uh, the same competition. Didn't have Crouching Tiger to butt up against. And then it it went to Cannes and did extremely well at Cannes, winning three awards there. So, I mean, straight out of the... Inaritu comes screaming straight out of the gate with a really impressive film that is loved
0: Yeah. I, 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 I said, I, I, my note I took at, I kind of was when I was thinking about the movies after the fact I go, I just, I do like, I like gritty first features. And I was like, I like pie. I like following. I like reservoir dogs. Like I like a director, like unafraid to show. Yeah. I don't have a big budget behind me, but like, I'm going to do everything I can to show you like what I'm interested in, what kind of filmmaker I want to be and this, this, Kind of is an, it's a it's a nice lineage of first like gritty first independent features.
1: I and I don't I don't want to diminutize Inarritu in any way, shape, or form because he is he deserves all the praise that he gets. But is he Mexico's Quentin Tarantino? While we're talking Reservoir Dogs and visceral films and.
0: Well, I, I that's that's such a I I, I mean. Say, Such a
1: blanket statement. I know. I know
0: it's it's tough. I mean, part of me wants to say sure, and part of me didn't know when when I wanted to like bring this up specifically, but now seems as good a time as any. So when we when we talk about sort of the dubbed three amigos, right, where we're talking about Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu, Alfonso queron and uh, Guillermo del Toro. Based, and I I feel like I know the answer to this, but I could be wrong. But like, if you were to rank rank them in terms of the movies that you like of theirs, one, two, three, how, how would you go?
1: Oh, it's Inaritu, Kiran, and Del Toro. Okay, I so mean, I don't even have to think about that one. There's
0: really no debate on that, right?
1: Oh, no, none whatsoever.
0: And like, as much as I, I here's the thing, I am really not a Del Toro fan. I do like Pan's Labyrinth, and that, that's about it. But, you got, here's what you gotta give credit to, though. Those, those four dudes... Basically, won Oscars back to back to back to back to back. That's impressive. Crazy.
1: I mean, it's 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 great. I think it's great for the country of Mexico to go lo- no look at we are a force to be reckoned with. We make and we produce great filmmakers.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was twenty twenty fourteen Birdman, twenty fifteen Revenant. We got to skip twenty sixteen, uh, and then twenty seventeen Alfonso Cuaron. Or uh, um, sorry, um, uh, Del, Del Toro. Toro. And then the next year was was Cuaron. I mean, that's 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 great. That's that's really cool to to see these three guys come and just like boom best well, director Well even, even a
1: couple of years before you have Kuron with uh, with Gravity getting oh, all true. kinds of award love.
0: That's true. Yeah, I guys I, I guess I just I jumped right to <laughs> right to we're talking about Inuritu. but yeah, that's absolutely right.
1: And and well while, while we're on him how he didn't get a best director nod for Children of Men still. That's one of those things that breaks my fucking mind in half.
0: Is that 06 or 07? Ooh, uh, it
1: was, I think it was the end, end of 06.
0: Okay, so, so question. You can give Quoran the the nod for best director, but it means taking away inner for Babel. Will you do it?
1: For Children of Men over Babel?
0: Yeah.
1: 100%.
0: Okay, cool.
1: 100%. Okay. I, children I of men children of men is a fucking masterpiece
0: i i maybe that wasn't as divisive as i thought but i just wanted to make sure just want to check did just you really to think
1: i was gonna say no dude i, I don't you know. know how much I, children of men is oh mwah, perfect
0: it's very good it's very good oh god it's a great um, film so the and uh so a question i had for you and um in, in terms of thinking about amores peros thinking of the three like you know the three segments right how how do you rank them in terms of what what keeps you interested what 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 is your preferred the preferred segments
1: ooh that's that's really tough i i I am gonna make the the Babel comparison here and say that the story with the model and the lost dog in the floor and the, the being in the wheelchair and the the cheating husband that to me is almost like the story of the Japanese girl in Babel. It feels like a different movie that's the one that yeah. I think even though even though uh, Rinko Kikuchi's story in Babel is the most compelling, as we said, it feels like it's a different movie. In the case of *Amores Peros, the story of the model not only feels like it's a different movie, but it's also the least compelling. It's definitely, like, all three times that I've watched it, that's where I check out, and I try yeah. really hard not to. Like, I trust me, I'm trying to stay with it, and I'm, I really am, but it's just not, and again, it's, it's too long. Yeah, it's, it is too long. I think it's the short it's the shortest of all three stories, and it's still too long.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yep. I was gonna say the I was gonna say the exact same thing. And I do, I love the idea of, you know, we start with the car accident. And unlike some of the other movies, um like I, I think more specifically of like 21 Grams, I'm not like I, I am interested in seeing how we get to it, right? Like again, spoiler alert, when 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 Gail Garcia Bernal stabs the guy at the dogfight which which is what which is the impetus for the the car chase. I'm like, "Got it." And then they they do a great thing where they they basically like cut they cut the the car chase like in half to get to kind of get speed us up to where we are. I'm like, "Cool, great. So that's how it happens." And then we kind of pivot to this talk show and and she's on it and and she's what we find out is pretending to be to be engaged to this other famous person. And it's like okay this is great. I get okay cool cool cool. So we got somebody new coming in and then she goes I am going to go get what, she go, I think she's going to get wine or something or food and it's like ah oh. and the second the second that she's in there man and then of course we pass the street walker I'm like ah oh, okay I got it got it got it. Boom collision. And it's not so much I I mean I am interested in seeing like essentially the um like the stray bullet. You know what I mean? Like the person who didn't do anything wrong and gets hit by the car. We now we're watching this person try to 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 live her life. What is her life going to be now? And yes, there's the added um you know the uh the the added kind of wrench in the gear of her being a model and now her her leg is so fucked up and how is she going to be able to have a career after all of it? And I I get that. But, like, I, the dog in the floorboards is a lot. It's a lot for me to want to care about, and I just I just don't.
1: Well, the, the, here's, here's the problem, is, like, all the, everything that you're saying, all the way up and through, it's interesting. Yes, she's a model, so now her career is completely fucked. And the, her, the relationship with the guy that left his wife, now that is being called into question. That is all really great. And, like, you're talking about the stray bullet, the innocent person. Who gets blindsided by this event? Uh, yeah, no, we should follow. That's important. We should be following this. We should know what happens. But yeah, as soon as the dog goes in the floorboard, it feels like it's, it's so it's so forced. It's like the, if you want to make the comparison, it's the the gun in Babel being owned by the Japanese businessman. It's just one, it's one thing too many. It's uh, it's just so that we can keep this running theme of loyalty and dogs. Yeah, it, it, it is very forced. But anyway, you asked me to, to sort of rank them. Here's my problem with the other two is that I find Gail Garcia's Bernal's his story and the wanting to run away with the sister-in-law and the dog fighting. I think that is the most compelling story of the three. The problem is the El Chivo character, the, the ex-guerrilla doing the hits, his character is the most compelling of all of them. So I almost, I, I have a hard time picking because one of them's got the great story. The other one's got the great character. So it's really hard to choose. And so if I were to rank all three of them, I don't I don't know that I could, man. It's it's a tough decision.
0: Yeah, I, there's a, we haven't talked about this movie yet, so I'm gonna, I'm not gonna broach it yet, but there's a moment in Amoros Perros uh, where El Chivo has basically rescued the dog that Gale Garcia Bernal has been dog fighting from the car accident and it heals them. And when he comes back home and that dog out of just instinct has killed every other dog that, that he, that he has been taking care of. I literally like, it's so funny. I, I, I was like tracking when these kind of moments happen to me. I went, Oh, <gasps> I literally like gasped because it's, it's been, de- it's so devastating. Long since I've seen it. Yeah. It's, and like, You've only seen him, like, you've seen him, you've seen El Chivo be basically a dick to everybody except his dogs. And what a true loss that is for him. It it, it was, it was really compelling.
1: I know, and when he thinks the one is still alive or barely clinging to life, that little, the little white one that he takes into the car, like he's going to drive it, I don't know, somewhere, anywhere, to the vet, whoever. And when he realizes that even that one is gone, too, oh, my God. Oh, this actor, this, I I got to call him out by name, Emilio Esche, oh, my God, with names. I don't want to butcher the pronunciation, Eshevaria. Does that sound right to you? Sure, yeah. He is, God, give this guy a fucking Oscar for this movie, man. He just, he crushes it in this movie.
0: He's he's really good. He's really good, and and like I was thinking about Gail Gail Garcia Bernal, and in the same I think in the same year he does um, no no not in the same year it's a it's a few he does Etu Et Mama tambien with Alfonso Cuarón, which is another like Bernal was picking some good people to work with, and and I think yeah. that really that really helped him early early in his career. Um, to, to well, get the one roles, that.
1: The one that brought him to my attention was even a couple of years after that, the Motorcycle Diaries, where he plays a young Che Guevara. Uh, I, I believe they're backpacking through Argentina or I, or Chile. I can't remember. Somewhere in, in South America. I mean, if you haven't seen that, that is yeah. a monumental film.
0: No, I know of it, but I, I haven't seen it. But uh, but yeah, he's oh, I, man, I you really will, like him. In a, you will yeah. adore it.
1: Yeah. yeah so yeah, I don't know how would how would you rank I mean I think we both agree that the the model story is is the least compelling of the three, but how would you toss up the other two
0: i i you know it's so funny i i I think my instinct was to go that like basically like one, three, two right that's that's how I see them as they as they progress through the movie. but you're absolutely right about El chivo's character being the most like the best acted, the most compelling he's doing a lot with a little, I mean, the first, the dog fight stuff and, and what's going on. It's dramatic in the best way, right? It's, it's, there's dog fighting and there's a, there's a brother who wants to run away with his, with, there's a guy who wants to run away with his brother's wife. That's, that's, that's interesting. That's dramatic, right? There's a lot of El Chivo. There's a lot of driving and waiting and plotting and, and, and watching, but it's all interesting. He's doing a great job with it. So I, that's, I want to just, I want to cheat and go, I think, I think in terms of story wise and what's the most captivating to watch, maybe the first, the first chunk, but, but in terms of the acting and what's, and what's happening internally, it it really is that last segment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely, I think I'm, I'm just going to make a decision and go three, one, two.
0: I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. Yeah.
1: It, it's good. And I yeah. just, the, the ending, the where he just, he's been given this job, he's got to do this hit, this guy has come to him and said, hey, oh. will you kill my, my business partner, turns out to be that guy's brother-in-law. So again, we've got the whole idea, this running theme of loyalty. Yeah. Loyalty between brothers. And oh, the line where he, say, he calls the guy able, you know, what did you deserve to deserve such a cane in your life? Yep. Yeah. yeah. that's really that's really good. That's really really good. And of course he ends up calling calling the dog Kane at one point as well for killing all the other dogs. Yeah. Um the decision that he makes where he's like I'm not going to kill this guy. I'm going to get these guys alone in a room and make them decide. Oh, that's good, man. That's Oh, some yeah. re- oh that's some good writing.
0: Yeah, this this you know in and not in a bad way, and not necessarily all in a good way, but this feels like yeah, this this feels like in and Ariaga were like, they had time. They really, they, you could tell there was, you know, and it's, it's a longer movie too, but like, you could tell that they were like, they thought a lot about how these were going to connect the, the themes and, and the running motifs that were going to run through it. And, and it's a first feature. Obviously, yeah, it's a, it's a rough around the edges, but I think the thought and care are all, all there in the finished product. Oh,
1: absolutely. I won't do it. I won't waffle. You're almost making me think that I need to, to change up my order, that I need to reverse Babel and a Morse Paris, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my gut. I'm gonna keep Babel at three, keep a Morse Paris at four for the time being. Who knows? Check in with
0: me in a year, maybe it'll change. Gotcha. I will, I will. Um so so not fucking with our lists, let's let's stick with what we got. What what is your number two?
1: My number two is the Revenant, which I believe was your number four.
0: The Revenant was my number four. Yes. All right. So, um, so, I
1: believe it's I believe it's my turn to do the synopsis. Sure. So uh, I'll make it I'll make it brief because I mean there's it's not a ton of plot, based on very well I should say based very loosely on true events and inspired by the novel by Michael Punke. Uh, we have Hugh Glass, a frontiersman in the eighteen twenties, with his his son, who is uh, I believe his son is Pawnee. He was, born, he was in a relationship with a Pawnee woman. Uh, they are on a fur trading expedition which is attacked and they are forced to go on the run. Uh, a lot of their men are killed right at the beginning of the film and they decide to abandon their boat. They start to take a trek into the mountains to get back to their fort. And things go horribly wrong for Hugh when he is attacked and mauled uh, almost quite literally to death by a bear. They attempt to the, the other men attempt to save him, but then it turns out, uh, that they can't continue with him. So a couple men, uh, will Poulter's character and Tom Hardy's character decide to stay behind with him and his son. Uh, Fitzgerald the Tom Hardy character who is uh, a very ruthless man decides that he doesn't wait or want to raid around any longer for him to die ends up killing his son and leaving him for dead and it's about Hugh making his trek back across the frontier to seek revenge so you
0: you said the one thing that really keep that that keeps this movie from being number three for me um which is how simple it is. It's just See, a... that's
1: that's what I that's what I appreciated about it. Once after Birdman and after this trilogy of death, I mean I've only got one left. So you know what my number one is. My number one and two are I think his two most simple films. But saying that with the Revenant is kind of it's a little bit loaded because this fi- this film from a technical standpoint from a filmmaking standpoint is
0: anything but simple. Oh no! Of course, and and that's that's also why it, it, it's it's a tough it's a tough four for me to be on. Like, I, I just enjoy I appreciate the story and storytelling in Amoris Perros more than I do in The Revenant. But yes, from a from a I mean cinematography alone, this movie is gorgeous.
1: I mean, I've I've said it on a couple films now, but if again, if this film hadn't a one good cinematography, then what the fuck is good cinematography?
0: Yeah, yeah, fair. That th- and that is a fair point. Um, there are just other parts of it that, like, I I I watched the movie. This was the one this week. Uh, Melissa wasn't so Melissa wasn't so interested in watching most of these movies with me, but she did she did rewatch this with me, and she I, she loved it. She and, and it's not that I didn't love it, but. We got to the end, and I was like, "Why did they make this movie? What was what's the importance of it? What is it trying to say?" And and now all the stuff about like like we we kind of alluded to earlier on about chasing the weather and chasing the snow and like how they had to change shooting locations because they the continuity wise with the snow they just it was going away and and that's all important. I think I think at there's a bigger issue at large that the movie is not about about global warming and 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 Leo made that a part of his acceptance speech when he won his makeup Oscar for this but outside of that kind well, of Hang on, hang on. Is it a makeup Oscar? Y-
1: yes. I mean I mean to say that he didn't deserve the win for Wolf of Wall. I mean, he does so much work in the Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, he lost to the wrong person. I don't think I don't think that's up to for debate, but to say that this is—you're not calling this just a makeup Oscar, though, right? I mean, he—he he fucking earned this Oscar with this movie. Uh, uh, I, I, I—no, I know you—you you have a problem when it comes to, f- I think, physical performance, physical performances, or or or, or performances where. Actors have to change themselves in some sort of physical way. There's, there's a sort of, there's a. I, I don't want to call it a disconnect. I'm struggling for the right word, but there is a, a sort of disconnect between physicality and reward for said physicality for so, you. I'm well, again, I'm, I'm projecting and probably me, not using the right word. Let me give you an word, example
0: but. of a, of a performance that feels similar, but that I, I have it, but I have the, the exact opposite feeling of, which is Daniel Day Lewis. And there will be blood. The first... I, I forget what it is. I used to know. But the first, what, 15 minutes of that movie? Something like that? There, He's not speaking at all. He's just doing things. And that's... I, and ultimately where that performance goes. Like, the whole character in general. I'm like, cool. But with Leo... I'm like, I, I, and I read all the shit, right? I read, I read that he actually ate the liver. I read that he learned some of the, the, the Native American languages and that's all, that's all great. That's, that's actor homework, that's you ate liver, that's dumb, but sure, great, that's good for you. But like, at the end of the day though, I, I feel like I, I can, I, I think of other performances of his that I thought his acting was better. It was more convincing, it was more compelling and it's it's different when you can when you're in the elements and you're basically responding to stuff like cold and eating raw meat but like i don't that's not acting to me that's that's just living and and that's what differentiates like a performance like his in The Revenant from something like Daniel Day-Lewis's in um In There Will Be Blood is the character creation that happens in There Will Be Blood is so much more than what happens in The Revenant the it, it, the Revenant is just this guy constantly reacting to the shit that's happening around him and it's it's not that it's bad but i i just i think leo has done better and and i'm not saying that and and i don't have it in front of me and so maybe maybe he was the best performance that year of the nominees but but i just i think he's done better and will do better as time goes on
1: no, I think so too. But I, I think just to put this role down to reacting and physicality does a little bit of a disservice to it because I, I, I mean I'm with that character. I, I feel that character. I, I, I. To say that the physicality overshadows the the quote unquote acting, I, I think there's there's that some of that might be valid. But I also, I mean there is a there is a believability about it. I mean I I buy the character without. All the other physical shit that he has to go through, I, I I believe that he is this frontiersman with this son that he probably gets a mountain of shit for having a son that is half Native American and half white. Like I I get it. I I feel the struggle. You know what I mean. I I think he did the work emotionally as well as physically.
0: I, yeah. I I just I. I just didn't find I didn't again. like That's a, a problem I had with this relationship too. Is that, like I he loses his son, and I I feel like I should I should care more. I should care more, but like I the <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of actor tricks happening in this movie. Like there's a lot of excess saliva happening from Leo. There's a lot of scene chewing from Tom Hardy, who I think ultimately is just fine in the movie. He's a bit too much. He, he's he's so close to mustache twirling. Like, "Ah, I killed your son and took your gold. "Ah," And I just don't, I just am not totally there with him. I think the best performance in the movie is Dom Gleason, If I'm being totally honest, I think he's great.
1: Oh, that's, that's good. Dom Gleason is fucking good in this movie. And people, I mean, people just talk about Leo and, and Hardy. Oh, that's, you know, you have brought up a really good point in there. Not enough love. If we were doing a full episode on this, I think there's a really good argument for Domino being you know unsung hero, probably thankless role. Yeah, yeah.
0: and don't and and I, I I
1: don't I don't buy the hardy mustache twirly, though like he is genuinely fucking menacing in this
0: movie. I want to agree with you, but I just feel like there's there's so little about him that it's just like it's just like he's selfish. okay. Great. <laughs> That's fantastic. Like, like, like (laughs) there's just, I don't, other than him being like a completely self-centered prick, I don't really, I don't get why he does anything that he does.
1: Well, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great subtext for his, his racism. Well, I guess it's not even subtext. I mean, we can see the evidence of it with his, his almost scalping. Yeah. I mean, and that is great makeup.
0: Oh, no, no, to- totally. And again, again, I, 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 wanted to. I'll take a step back. Production side, editing, cinematography, and then, and really, like I do appreciate the work that DiCaprio and Hardy do in the movie. I just, you know, I, I, I just don't get. This we were we were talking uh I'm not sure if it was last week or not but we, when we brought up Promising Young Woman you had seen that like that's a complicated revenge story that I think requires multiple viewings and a lot of extra thought. This is so simple. It's so basic. This I think like this kind of a movie is a pro- like is a problem for Promising Young Woman which is trying to push the boundaries and trying trying to engage you in extra thought. This is just like I'm gonna get the guy who killed my son, and it's like, okay, great, that's cool. I get that.
1: Oh man, and? you were. Oh, you're bumming me out, man. Sorry. I I, I guess I guess i I there. I'm not. I will not discount my bias. I mean, I love a good old-fashioned revenge story. I mean, revenge films are. It, I mean, they're right up my alley. But I I get I get the no, comparison I, you're and- drawing.
0: And I think I think for me, I just I like a revenge movie with a bit more. You know, that's why I like Promising Woman. It's why I like Old Boy. Like there's I like revenge movies where there's like a an extra thing. Something that's well, I, like, oh, that that's why it's interesting.
1: Well, your bit more doesn't come thematically or, or through story. Your bit more comes just from sheer mind boggling technical achievement.
0: But that's not but that has nothing to do with the story. Like again, yeah, Filmmaking wise, that, that,
1: no, that's 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 what I just said. It doesn't it doesn't come in the story.
0: Well, yeah, but that's that's for me for me, for me like, that's
1: for me that's how I can overlook its simplicity is just marvel at the achievement.
0: Which I and that's that's what honestly helps me. That's what that's what that's that's a great catalyst. to help me get through it. Is like look how fucking gorgeous this movie is. It it absolutely is. No no doubt about it. And it's still got some. I mean, not like Birdman, but
1: it's still got some insane one shots.
0: Oh yeah, big time. I mean, from big very time, yeah, from th- very th-
1: early th- on during the siege on their camp. Yeah, I mean that's just yeah. breathtaking. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know who has to justify more. Whether you have to justify it being at number four, or whether I have to justify it being at number two.
0: No, it's it's probably me, and I just I just don't think the performances are as good as advertised and i think the story is just a, it's just a bit too simple um
1: so the yeah. hardy nomination does not sit well with you
0: it's not that it doesn't sit well with me it it is exactly in line with a, academy award supporting actor like i give you i give you other people who have won over the years heath ledger dark knight um christoph Walt, and glorious bastards Javier Bardem, No Country for Old Men. The Academy loves a good supporting villain. So no, his nomination makes all the sense in the world to me. I'm not against it. I'm not necessarily for it. It is It is exactly in line with how that goes.
1: Well, I will say while we're on supporting actor, I will say the right person won that year. It was Mark Rylance for Bridge of Spies. I mean, Bridge of Spies oh. is not. It's not an exceptional movie. He is exceptional in it. I mean, Mark Rylance is is a genius.
0: My vote would have been for Sylvester Stallone for Creed.
1: And I'm, you know what? I part of I I tell you what. Part of me was pulling for that. I mean, he was the dark horse. I mean, that would have been. It's a come full circle like that. It would have been amazing. And I I part of me does wish the Academy had done that.
0: I don't. But think, like I said, I, I, think I mean, Mark Rylance Mark, Mark
1: Rylance is horse. just really. I, I, I feel I remember, like there was really... I feel like there was enough build up around him. I, I you know, don't think there, he'd there was won enough any... steam.
0: I don't think he'd won any of the precursors.
1: Oh, but there was it seemed like there was enough in the press about it to to make it feel like oh, it man. was going to happen. And and like I said, I mean like, there's nothing exceptional about Bridge of Spies. I mean it's Tom Hanks and Spielberg doing what they do. But Mark Rylance oh, rises above it so I, spectacularly. I,
0: I, I... I heard this great this great thing the other day about Spielberg post um post Munich and how the Acad- by the academy expanding to 10 films and like how often his his mediocre films have been nominated for best picture almost by like what seems like default and it's like oh god I'd never thought about that but like you know like lincoln and the post and bridge of spies it's like are, it's like they're just they're just giving them to him and i'm thinking next year when the academy expands to 10 back to t- like not just up to 10 but to 10 for 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 real it feels like it feels like west side story is just going to be nominated because oh i hope not sorry i just i just i i we went down that rabbit hole and i just wanted to see it see it to the end but <laughs> no 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 i got you
1: but yeah, I mean talking about global warming as you you can't help but not so t- even though that may not be what the film is about, but I mean when you when you consider that they, they like we said, they chased the snow. They went from northern Canada literally to the southern tip of Argentina. I mean, that's gotta put some shit in perspective.
0: Yeah, and and, and that's true. And and I think I think the narrative around the making of the film does help it does help with maybe maybe not the message the movie was intending to deliver, but with a message that it ended up but that it that it ended up delivering because because of that of just showing how fucked up and how how much how much harm we as a society are causing.
1: Yeah, well, we talked about the simplicity of the movie, the simplicity of the story, the straight revenge film. But there also is, I mean, it's still an Inoritu film, so it is extremely artistic. And of course, I mean, this film won. This film lost Best Picture to Spotlight. Was this film in your mind too artistic to go all the way? I mean, there's a lot of, of, of a lot of dream sequences in it. There's a lot of strange imagery.
0: So how do how do I feel about the loss to Spotlight? Yeah, I really enjoyed Spotlight. I think it deserved the win. Um, yeah, I know it only won that and screenplay, but I really liked the movie.
1: No, no, no. I get it. I'm all I'm all for it. I think it's yeah of the two, it's probably the more important. Have you so wanted, have you said everything you wanted to say about the Revenant?
0: I have, I have.
1: All right. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I think we're good. I I loved you hitting on Domhnall Gleeson there as as an underrated performance, man. What a He's what great. a great take.
0: He's great in it. Yeah. Um. So here, I, I, here's what I want to do. Really. So here's the thing. My number. My number one is Birdman. We did an episode on it last week. If you want to hear about it, you can do it. But I, I, want to spend some time talking about my number two, your number one, beautiful.
1: And this was your your first time seeing beautiful.
0: Yes, it was.
1: This is my this was my second time seeing it. Holy shit! So do you want to do you do you want to do you want to give us the the brief rundown um, for the the boys so, and girls at home?
0: So essentially, uh, this this movie focuses around Ushbal, played by Javier Bardem, he is dying of, of cancer. Um, and so like very macro, this is him trying to sort of deal with his impending death, which takes shapes in many forms. He's trying to sort of patch through a relationship with his his wife and still be a father to his two kids. This is him working with his brother, who he has a there's, there's an interesting thing going on where, where he is trying to work with the, these Chinese people uh, in Spain who are making essentially these secondhand knockoff bags and other things that they are giving to these Senegalese Africans who are selling them on the street. And again, and, and again, this is sort of an injury to um, look how connected we all are, except for it feels more, in this film, it feels more believable they're all in the same like city and it's like oh yeah this is like the day to day lives and here's what's going on the other part of this movie though is that Javier Bardem's character has this gift i don't know what else how else to call it where he can essentially listen to the recently deceased and help them move on um there is this i don't know if this is too strong a word but a supernatural mythical kind of element to the film That doesn't get broached a lot, but it is a part of the movie. Um, Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what, what happens. Um, So, so this is your number one and it's my number two. And, and I'm, I'm honestly really excited to hear that. Um, So what about this movie speaks to you so much?
1: Well, I mean, right at the top. I mean, I I went back and forth. I went rounds over this. I I was asking myself all week: Is this Javier Bardem's best performance? And I'm like, I just can't. I just can't get over the hump of Anton Chigurh in in No Country for Old Men. I mean, this is to me this is second only to that because in in No Country for Old Men he is playing such a complete sociopath, menacing. I mean in in every way physicality and i'm not just talking about that terrible haircut i mean he no, no, is no. genuinely just i mean if that man walks into the room i am shitting my
0: pants here's i i i don't oh god i don't know how to answer that i think i think anton chigurh is a great role and i think it'll be what he's remembered for but i i think i i i don't know if i can say better i don't know that i can a- answer in that way which is kind of a cop out but I think that this role asked more of him.
1: I oh, think absolutely
0: dramatically and emotionally, he really had to go to places and, and there, there's so much that goes on in the movie, but when he uh, you know, spoiler alert, sure. And, but uh, when it's later in the movie and his daughter kind of catches him in the bathroom and, and she's asking if he's going to be okay. And he's like, no. And when he hugs her in the bathroom, Seeing how much he's gone through up to the up until that point, and knowing now that he can't keep it a secret anymore, I I I fucking I cried so hard, and it, and that yeah. it, and it's not even just the 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 piss poor excuse of I'm a dad and I have daughters, but just like it earns it. That moment is so earned, and they and we and we just have to live in it. Like that hug lasts like twenty seconds, which doesn't sound like a long time, but like in a film, choosing to stay on that without cutting away is a long time, and I. I loved every second of that.
1: Well, it's it's this is for me this is in Ritu at not only his most lyrical but also his most restrained. You you have a scene like that where she said, yeah, 20 seconds that can be indulgent. But there's a scene that happens i believe right around the same time in the film where he's let his ex-wife or his the wife he's separated from who is suffering from bipolar disorder she's she's very mentally unstable she's he's let her back into his life back into the kid's life and she has we'll, we'll get into it because there's oh man i want to discuss every facet of this film with you he she betrays his trust and she is holding on to he's got a son and a daughter daughter's older she's holding on to the young son and she won't let him go yeah and he has to go over there to the other side of the room and take mateo from her oh fuck man that moment levels me it you know i I, i'm not i'm not special i mean there are millions of children of divorce who have had to go through this at such a young age yeah but that moment hits me like a freight train through a fucking brick wall, man. It just levels me. But it's restrained in the fact that he it's all done in one shot. He pulls away to show you the daughter leaning yeah. against the wall just beside herself. Yeah. Before moving the camera back to where he's finally wrestled his son away. We don't see the violence in that moment. I mean he it's it's very clear he doesn't he doesn't hurt Mateo. He doesn't hit his, his wife. He just he he finally gets him away from it. I don't know, man. There's so much going on in that moment. Oh yeah, it just speaks volumes. But there's also a restraint in the way that it's shot.
0: Well, and and in the storytelling of like the relationship with him and his and his his kind of estranged wife. You know, when, you know he he asks he asks her at one point if she hit him, and and she said that she does. When we find out that she went to the mountains and left him behind, when we discover him, when we discover Mateo still at home. And and it's such a shock to Javier Bardem. You can't help but go like I mean, you know what you know about the you, the the um about the mother and that she is suffering some some mental health issues. But you also, it's so hard to not sit back and go, you bitch. Like I was so yeah. mad. I was so yeah. fucking mad. I couldn't I couldn't imagine. Gender aside, I I I'm calling her a bitch. I'd call him a bitch if it was he if he was the one who did it too. I don't I don't mean to be gender specific, but it's just like I could not imagine leaving a child, a young child behind while you leave, like you don't just leave the area. You're you're like going far away by train. It's just I was I yeah.
1: Matteo Matteo must be what eight nine yeah. maybe
0: ten. No older. No older.
1: Yeah yeah, and we see he comes home and he's got these he sees that his son has been left behind and we see the bruise on his eye from where his, his mother has hit him. Oh man, it is I don't I don't I don't know any moment in this film where if it doesn't touch you, yeah, you I don't I don't know if a soul is real or not, but I mean you you are soulless if this film doesn't hit you.
0: Well, and I so I I don't I I feel like I'm just going to bring the mood down, but the moment that happens in um in Amoris Pero's where we find the dogs have all been uh killed by the other dog. Uh, well that pails, that is
1: just that is just the curtain call for what happens in, in comparison
0: this film. to the discovery of of the Chinese laborers down in that basement room. That that caught me by such surprise. I my mouth was agape for quite some time. It and and it did there's a very there's a very subtle technique. There's a very subtle repetition going on that, that inner 2 does where it's, I think it's, I think it's twice before we see that we see the routine, right? We see the guy come down, turn on the lights, wake up, stuff gets going. And so we've been conditioned by that point to go, Oh, it's just the next day. He's just going to wake him up. And when they don't, and when you see it, it just like, it's beyond devastating. I was, I, and, and knowing, and that's the other thing. I mean, we do kind of see it later on, but like, your mind immediately jumps to the woman and her son were in there. You don't see it first thing, but your mind goes there before you even have to see it because you know, they're down there.
1: Yeah. And they're of course there. I mean, it's a, maybe it's the easy choice from a script writing point of view, but those are the two people in there that we know that he is closest to Lee and her son, because, you know, we've seen him spend time with her. Uh, She watches uh, the kids for him occasionally but it's it's nonetheless it's it's still devastating as you said it's still just heartbreaking and yeah. so i don't know maybe maybe that's too easy but it's it still doesn't take away from the fact that he might be the one at fault here he is the one that went out and bought the heaters and later in the movie he says i, I bought them cuz they were cheapest and so quite literally their deaths are on his hands
0: yeah, well, and, and from from his perspective of course i mean he doesn't know that the they're living in a room with no ventilation and that and that 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 obviously has a contributing factor to it but yeah from where he's sitting it's his fault and um and that and that obviously brings back in that that sort of supernatural element of the movie where now he's starting to kind of the way that the bodies are kind of up on the ceiling and the way he sees his body later on yeah, uh, I think is great and it works really well with this sort of confronting death not only his own but the other people around him it's I really liked all of those choices
1: yeah I know that and this is where I, I keep hammering home the the idea of the restraint that Inaritsu shows in this film I mean there is a supernatural element he is a medium he is someone that people pays to help their loved ones cross over people who are left behind and having a hard time letting go of the fact that they're dead i mean it's done so subtly even from that that opening scene where we see him go down into the church basement you know there Mm -hmm. there is a there are filmmakers that would definitely make more of that but in i think does it in exactly the right way he doesn't he doesn't we don't ever see him commune with the dead i think that's i think that's important
0: yeah yeah i agree I agree. And uh, it and it's
1: uh, it's done. It's done. Kind of it's very unsettling, but not in a horror movie way either. You know, there's a chance that you could swing too far the other way and make it horrific. It's not horrific.
0: No, no, not at all. Um I I wanted to ask you what do you think about um the aspect ratio change that happens close to the end of the movie?
1: It's yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you caught that. It's it's interesting. I don't there there isn't a ton of information on this film. There's not a lot of trivia or making of. I I did look.
0: I I was curious. Do you know why he made the change? So yes, I did. I found uh for the American Society of Cinematographers website, uh Rodrigo Prieto was interviewed and uh the, there was a question. He goes, there was a very unusual format change from 1.85 to 1 to point. to 1 and from spherical to anamorphic partway through the movie what motivated the choice and prieto says so you noticed in one of our first discussions i had with alejandro he described Ushbal as somebody who is uptight and controlling at the beginning of the film and then as he is forced by his circumstances to accept his fate he is finally able to let go Alejandro wanted to find a way to represent this transition visually. At first, we talked about using tighter compositions in the beginning and then going wider as the story progressed. After that conversation, I thought about it some more and wondered if we could take that a step further and play with the aspect ratio. I suggested we started at 1.85 and eventually opened up to 2.4 to represent the transition from tight control to ultimate release. And he goes on to say more, but they basically chose to use the change in aspect ratio as sort of a, a losing of control and accepting your fate.
1: Oh, that's so good. I know. I love, I love this movie even more now. (laughs) That's incredible. Oh, thank you for sharing that, man. That's fucking great.
0: Well, that was like, I, I I had one of those moments where it happened and I was like, I let it like a minute or two go by. I was like, wait, am I fucking crazy? And I, I had to rewind it to make sure that that, that change happened. And then when it did, And it's really clear. I mean, at that point, it you know, um, I forget the name of the of the character, but the the woman who was that now living in his house is basically taking care of him and and taking his kids to school. And he really has like he's basically confined to bed and his, you know, his his demise is basically it's right around the corner. And there really is this sort of accepting of your fate that happens after that that aspect ratio change.
1: Uh, Dude, that's so good. I'm just I'm I'm sorry I feel derailed now I'm just in awe of that decision
0: making it's incredible <laughs> I fucking I know I it was such a great choice and um and like the other there there are moments like that too where like his his reflection
1: oh yeah the 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 sort of the. Again, an, another piece of the supernatural element and having a visual representation of how disconnected he is from the world around him. There's a, it's, it's so subtle, it's great. There's a scene where he is reflected in the, the glass door of, of a shop that he stood in front of and his, his, his reaction and his silhouette, his reflection's reaction are, are out of sync and the same with his hand on the plates. And that one is we're we're certainly more we're more aware of and he is more aware of. He's more aware of his disconnection to the world. And that's part of his his letting go.
0: Yeah. I mean I, you know, and, and we're not really gonna do a Birdman discussion on this episode again. I, I refer you back to our episode last week, but Birdman is so it's just so up my alley in terms of the dialogue and the performances and it's a theater movie and all that stuff. And but I have I just have to be real with you beautiful is such it's such a close second i mean it it's about as a closest second as as we've had on these rankings so far it's that that makes me very happy to hear that and i i i part of me was like god is like is fucking (laughs) i was like is babel gonna be his fucking number one and i'm gonna have to get so pissed about this but uh i i'm i yeah i just this movie as again as tough as it is to watch this is definitely one that I... Melissa didn't watch it with me, and I, I'll have to let some time go by before I attempt to watch it again, but this is one I really can't wait for her to see because I think it's it's very worthy of of your time.
1: Yeah, and I mean, coming back to Javier Bardem and, and awards talk, I mean, he was Oscar nominated for this, and I think extremely rightfully so. I mean, he lost to, to Colin Firth for a King's Speech. I don't know why, but for... None of the other films that we've talked about on the show, I did this, but for this, I, I I wanted to do it. So I've got all five nominees. Colin Firth obviously wins for the King's Speech, and and Javier Bardem gets nominated for this. We have James Franco for 127 Hours, Jeff Bridges for the True Grit remake, and Jesse Eisenberg for Social Network. I don't know, man. Given given the choice, I think I'm going Bardem. I I do for too. This. I mean that's that's some tough competition to be sure. I mean I think Franco is is amazing. I think he has, uh, yeah. Pardon the pun. I think I think Franco has a mountain of work to do in in 127 hours, and it's he's I think he's a revelation in that. That's honestly where I started taking Franco seriously. But Bardem is just a class above everybody else, including Jeff Bridges. What well, and I doing just, some of his best
0: work. I mean I, I you know I, the thing about. And and don't get me wrong, I do think that Colin Firth is I, I don't think the King's Speech is necessarily a fantastic movie, but I actually like what he I like what Colin Firth does in the movie. But like when I think about Jeff Bridges and Jesse Eisenberg in those movies in particular, they've created these really great characters. But again, it's it's sort of my in a way, it's my Robert De Niro and Raging Bull thing. It's like it's just a lot of the same throughout the movie. And and when you look at the work that Bardem is doing in this it's so much there's just so much for him to do and I get I get why he did win it's a foreign film it's 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 a movie that has a lot of a lot of elements to it it's it's you know it's not all surface level you have to do you really have to think about this movie but I think in the long run I think his performance is the one that should have been recognized
1: well the in this case as I've said before I think the nomination, is the win, yeah, and and as I'm sure you would point out in in the mix here with these five people, you've got three dudes playing real people, you've got one which is a remake, so John Wayne has already done it. Javier Bardem is the only original character.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's a yeah. fucking I, great point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's okay. He did win it, can even though he was tied with another actor. And again, this was, we, we got another Palme d'Or nomination here, so just about as prestigious as you can get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, man, I, I love it. I just, I can't wait to go. I mean, again, like you said, I'm going to, you, you need a little bit of time before viewings, but I can't wait to go back and fully take in uh, that aspect ratio change. How do, you, how do you feel about one thing that I wanted to ask you about this film, being that it was your first time the book ends, the opening and closing scene?
0: Yeah,
1: um, I don't. The opening... I figured that might be something that holds it back from number one for you.
0: The the it just I I don't understand why we I the it, I I totally get why we end with it. I'm not quite sure why we start there. Um, as this as this is a movie that doesn't really deal with that that jumbling that mixture of storylines that like, like a lot of his other movies have. This is pretty it's straightforward in terms of how how the plot progresses so i don't i don't know why we start there it doesn't it's not enough that it pulls me out it's not enough that i'm like i don't i don't get this 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 is just like a bad choice um there is confusion there but it doesn't bother me to the point that i it it disrupts my love for the movie
1: i think it's uh yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily feel that we need it both at the beginning and the end. I do, I do love the scene as a whole, though. It's very lyrical. Of course, speaking, actually getting to speak to his dad, who he never knew, the whole image of the dead owl is, is very visceral and breathtaking. Yeah. And I, I, love the, I love the way the scene ends, looking away, what's over there, the idea of, of death being this, this great adventure to, to quote a, a much lesser film. Um I it, it did have a different opening. It had a it opened with a poem originally and, and Inoritu decided to to use that end scene as bookends instead and the poem goes Every day of my life someone spoke to me, whispering slowly, calmly, it said, Go live, go live, go live. It was the death. I don't know, I think that's I think maybe he should have stuck with his gut, stuck with the
0: poem. And just save what the image. Think? Just save the image for the end yeah yeah i think that we i mean i don't i don't think that we need it both times and and obviously there's a repeat of the scene with his daughter but just from a different angle right obviously we get just just the hands at the top and then we get to see the scene from like a a two shot later on but um but yeah i i think starting with the poem would have would have worked i think it would have yeah, i
1: i wonder if he's playing with the idea of of circular time with that kind of imagery life yeah, but, and death this yeah. complete circle
0: yeah there, there's that 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 would make sense with the way that the story goes
1: yeah speaking to his father i mean trying to i don't know reaching for something here and sounding pretentious maybe but you know speaking with his father at the beginning and coming back to his father i don't know i'm just reaching for the justification maybe for why we have it at both at the beginning of the end again it doesn't it doesn't diminish the movie for me completely but it does it is an interesting choice and maybe not the right one for sure
0: for sure um so, so there, so there we go. We've got, we've gone through our six. I've done, I've done the compiling. I've done the averaging. We have two films that had the same average, but I'm going to, I'm going to relinquish the tie to you. So, Ian, Oh, you, you don't have to do that. No, well, it's a, I'm okay. Well, I'll tell you why I did that in a second. So would you like to hear, well, here, I'll, I'll give mine and then you'll give yours and then I'll give, I'll give the definitive. I I think that's how we've done it in the past. All right, so here we go. My, My ranking, number six, Babel, number five, 21 Grams, number four, The Revenant, number three, Amoris Peros, number two, Beautiful, and number one, Birdman. And my
1: ranking from six to one, starting with 21 Grams, Birdman at number five, Amoris Peros at four, Babel at number three, the Revenant at number two, and finally, Beautiful at number one.
0: Which leads to our 1,001 by one definitive ranking of Inuritu's films. Number six, 21 Grams. Number five, Babel. Number four, Amoris Peros. Number three, Birdman. Number two, The Revenant. And our number one Inuritu film, Beautiful. Oh, I'm very, I'm very happy with that. The Revenant, very, I, the, the Revenant and Birdman both averaged at three, but we collectively had it closer together. I had at one, you had at five, and, and then the Revenant was two and four. And I just thought that that was, those were closer than one, five. So I relinquished the Birdman to three. I, I appreciate
1: that. I mean, Babel being as low as it is, it is what it is. Trust me. I, I, I get it. I get the, the hesitation around that film.
0: So so there you go. We 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 did some 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 justice for Inuritu. And again, even though we talked about some of the things that we didn't like about his movies, again, we 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 recognize the craft and the skill that goes behind it. But as always, we want to know what you think of Inuritu and his films. What are your rankings? Have you seen all of his films? So please find us on Facebook and on Twitter and let us know what you think of his movies. You can support our show at Patreon.com slash a thousand and one by one. You can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and Google Play and many, many more. Uh, Join us next week as we go back to our regular format and we welcome a guest to talk about a a, a movie with a star that I don't think I've ever seen before. Um, There's a female lead of this movie that we're going to talk about that I'm fairly confident. I've never seen any of her movies before. Um, and I'm no, really... I've, I've
1: only seen one.
0: There you go. So so it'll be a first for us. We got a guest. We're really excited about it, but we're not there it's yet. It's much lighter
1: fare. Much, sure. mi-
0: much, much lighter, <laughs> indeed. But until then, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.